0: Welcome to the Dad Strength Podcast, helping you earn the mug that says world's greatest dad. The Dad Strength Podcast is an Unlearning Network production. My name is Jeff Gerbitz. I am your host. I am a fellow parent. And if you want to know about how good a ninja I am, take a look around. You see me? I didn't think so. Martial arts were a big part of my teenage life. I love training. I started training before MMA was even really a thing before the first UFC, which if you've never checked out, looks about a million miles away now. It was the first form of exercise that I really connected with. And I think a big part of that was, it was on my own schedule. It wasn't a team sport. And I needed that because I wasn't an athletic kid. Actually, maybe there is a better way to say that. I I wasn't a big kid, that's for sure. But I could move fast when I wanted to. So some of the hardware was there, some of the attributes, but what I really lacked was coordination. And when I got into martial arts, it was like learning a foreign language. I needed to develop an internal vocabulary for every single move to break it into pieces and then reassemble it. I was comically bad for the first few months, but I gobbled it up. I loved it. Every push-up felt like a personal victory, in part, I think, because I desperately needed high levels of physical activity to be able to focus and tune into the world. And this was the first version that I really felt like I could be successful with, even during those initial months of just absolute suckage. I think that what I was so terrible with became my strength. And if you ask me what we do at Bang Personal Training today and what we are uniquely good at, I would tell you that it's coaching movement. And I think a big part of that is I had to reverse engineer everything for myself. I learned to translate the language of athleticism into words just so I could get a handle on it. And soon I began to notice an innate grammar, how some things just tended to fit together in specific ways. And then later how to experiment with my own abilities and eventually improvise and riff and express myself. And it was huge. And I think it was a virtuous cycle too where movement begat focus and focus begat more progress. Times change and physical culture morphs. And my conversation today with master coach and absolute stand-up human being, Dom Mateo, begins with his son expressing himself physically. It's not so much what he does, which Dom will describe, but the incredible amount of grit that went into it. Here we have a young kid who, in a challenging moment, leverages every ounce of his ability, and then somehow taps into the universe to get some more. Before we get into it, check out dadstrength.com. I'm going to be hosting a free workshop on designing your parenting manifesto, your data-festo. Go to dadstrength.com, look for group coaching. You'll figure it out from there. Now for my interview with Don Mateo. Let's get into it.
1: That was in a uh, a Ninja Warrior competition, the sport of ninja, that's what they they call it, or they're trying to grow it as a sport. There was two different things, there's a key lock and then a, a removable like m- monkey bar, if you will. Um, so the key locks are like there's a box and you have a handle and it's it's got a perpendicular piece that goes uh, uh, across the handle. So you've got to fit it into the slot of this box and then turn it to lock it in. And then you swing from that and grab the next obstacle and swing from that. And the next obstacle is basically like a, a monkey bar that's, that's swinging. But if you don't grab it down with downward force, if you hit it up, it's coming out. So the, the handle comes out of the, the base. Uh, and so it was like key lock, Like uh, the monkey bar thing, key lock monkey bar thing. And he cruised through the first couple and then he got to the last one, which was the the monkey bar piece. And just, I I don't, I think just he lost focus for a second and he grabbed it up instead of coming down on it. So this thing comes out. And to put it back in, you got to put it in like this little two inch slot on either side to, to be able to use it again. So he's just like, right? He's swinging on that thing, holding on to the key lock with one hand. I think we counted what, like, eighteen passes. He went back and forth trying to get this thing. It was over the course of two and a half minutes, like, and he just didn't quit. He didn't. It didn't phase him at all, and it was the craziest thing to watch.
0: A two and a half minute one arm hold is, I mean, is to me superhuman. And
1: where he's swinging,
0: he's he swinging. It's in it. motion. Yeah, he's not just. Uh, hanging there like like the kitten from the 70s posters. He is in motion, trying to get momentum. And I saw in that video, I'm so fascinated by it because there was like a level of poise and grit that, you know, I've watched all kinds of athletes at all kinds of levels. Like that was real. That was like world-class to me.
1: Yeah, like, I just got goosebumps. Like you talking about it, thinking about it. Yeah, because like, as you and I had talked after I saw that and I told my son, I was like, I, you know, I'm, I I said, I don't care. I don't care. Like, and he he ended up winning his class there and get qualified for the world competition. um, Cause he actually completed the thing that moved on. I'm like, I, I don't care that you, you did all these other things. That's great. I'm like, to me, that one thing that you did right here, I'm like, this, this was the highlight of the weekend. And as I told you, I'm like, after I watched him do that, Uh, all of like the the worries and thoughts and anxiety that I've had, like his teeth, he's neurodivergent and struggles with, um, you know, OCD and a lot of the other things that come along with it, which are, you know, like ticks and Tourette like things and all sorts of other stuff. Um, after I watched him do that, it was like, I'm not worried about this kid. He's not, he's going to be all right. It doesn't matter. He's going to, he's going to be all right. Um, because anybody else I know would have folded there or just like, gotten frustrated and quit and moved on to the next thing, which he very well could have. Like he could have just said, I'm skipping this obstacle and moved on to the next one. And he didn't.
0: Yeah, <laughs> two minutes deep. Anybody in the world would have said, well, that was a hell of an effort. Move on. But he was so, so locked in. I mean, to me, that sound. it sounds like this has been a really, really sort of, that was a, it was an important moment. I mean, a parent's going to worry. You got to worry. How, how old's your son?
1: Uh, he's 11. Actually, no. Yeah, he's 12 now.
0: Wow. <laughs> this will be on the final exam. Okay. Talk to me about how having a kid who is neurospicy, as the Gen Z kids would say, uh, you know, what that is like and, and how you navigate all of that.
1: And now all of a sudden this kid is tapping he's having a hard time like walking out of a door without opening and closing it a certain amount of times he's counting things he's it's frustrating because he doesn't know why and he's crying and like we're late to things all the time because of him and he's five and and it was like okay you know i noticed the stuff and then we decided hey i'm gonna Take him to a doctor. I recognized it right away. I'm like, this looks very much like OCD, um, just from the things that he was doing. Um, and you know, like I said, a lot of people would be like, they would just right away like he's vaccine injured. And I'm, and I when I when I step back and look, it's like, what else is going on? We had just built a house and moved, and he had spent the prior, as far as he remembers, the rest of his life, the the previous five years at my mother-in-law's house because we had sold our our condo um, when he was probably six months old, it sold faster than we expected. And we're like, we're going to go live with my mother-in-law until we find a new place. And then we ended up deciding to build this house. Um, So he just left her house. We moved into a new house and grandma, like he's grandma's boy. always has been, always will be. Uh, That's how I was. Uh, So he moved away from her at the same time. He's starting school for the first time, so he's going to be away from mom, right, on a regular basis, which he never had been before. Um, and he's now got a little baby sister, so we like three days after we moved in, we had my daughter. So all these these four huge life events, which are big stressors for adults, even like all hit this little five year old all at one time, and he had already had was predisposed to being neurodivergent. It kind of runs in my family um, in one way, shape, or form. And so for me, I recognized like, yeah, that was a big stress hit. um, And that's what kind of kicked it off. And I went down the rabbit hole. I started taking like, I went to to Toronto and took CBT courses. uh, One that was called, it was really focused CBT for OCD. Right. And like worrying, as worried about like working on anxiety, it's called Up and Down the Worry Hill. Um, I took other online courses. I started looking for resources. I started learning, reading books, learning as much as I could about this thing. And like at first, it was like, how do I help him? And then it turned into, how do I help myself not interfere with him (laughs) and what he's doing? Um, Because you know, it's like, how do you help? And it's like, well, you, there are certain things you can do, but there's certain things you can't do. Um, so kind of going through that whole spheres of control thing was important, understanding like, what can I do here and what, what is just out of my control. So it was really hard watching this kid struggle, and then it went away. It went away for several years. Um, and And it just it come the pandemic, man, it popped up again this summer. Um, and it was worse than it had ever been before, like just, it was horrific for him. And that was the worst part is watching him suffer and like, I, and there's nothing I can do about it. I could try and comfort him, but it doesn't matter. Um, the way he describes it, he calls them things. he would say it's like, he's like, yeah, I just got this really uncomfortable feeling and I can't get rid of it unless I'm trying to do some of these these other things. That's what it is, things, right? So the obsession and then the compulsion. Um and and it's like it, he didn't have worries, not like cleaning, not worried about germs or that sort of thing, not worried about like death, not I don't know, like not fixated on stuff, but like he said it just felt really, really like like a worm like just digging into his brain and he couldn't get it out unless he tries to do some of these other actions. Um so we, you know, went to, to found a uh, therapist that focused on OCD and started taking them. And I started seeing a therapist, to, again, to, to work through some of this stuff for myself and some of my wife and, um, and, 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 and just trying to just support him um, the best I could. And uh, the amazing part for, all, for me watching him in all of this is like the kid, Still, he's in all gifted classes. He's like in the 99th percentile of every subject, like on testing. And he's gotten nothing but straight A. Actually, he got one B. <laughs> um, you know, so it's amazing when I sit back and think like this kid, in spite of all the stuff that he could just drag himself into the dirt about, he doesn't. He just still keeps just moving forward. Um, And I I do work with him also, though, on like, hey, let's look at the positive side of things. And I I work on just kind of positive mindset because it is easy for him sometimes to be really hard on himself, which is baffling to talk about the
0: mental habits that you've developed for yourself to work with all of this.
1: Yeah. It's humorous because it's all stuff I teach as uh, a coach of coaches, <laughs> right? And as being a coach. Uh, and like I tell my students, the hardest part is using these things with the people that you care about because you do care more about things. So, one of the mental things I've really had to work on is caring less. It's really easy for me to do that as a coach. I, it's, you're not my kid. It doesn't matter at the end of the day what you do. Like, I care about you, but I don't care what you do and how you do it. Like, it's your journey. But a child, I feel this this responsibility, right? Like I'm dad, I've got a, this responsibility to teach you these things and help you and protect you and, and help you learn and grow and be a better human, which like that's part of the role of dad. But at the same time, I gotta let some of that stuff go because it's not helpful um, when you're dealing with, a kid who's in a space like this, right? So, you know, um, I, I had to recognize my own triggers and learn how to separate myself a little bit more um, because, the, as I'd mentioned, like the stress and the anxiety kind of cues things up. So, if I'm amped up about stuff, it makes it that much easier for we call his. OCD. We call him Mr. Mean. We named it, right? So it makes it easier to talk about it. Um, you know, it's like it makes it easier for Mr. Mean to sneak in and start playing mind tricks on him because that's essentially what OCD is. It's like, it's like uh, you have a broken spam filter, and you think you think that uh, you think that email from the uh, the the African prince that wants to send you gold bars is real, and if you don't acknowledge it like all these people are gonna die, right? Like you don't know the difference and that's what it is. So we're like, Mr. Mean's playing tricks. Mr. Mean can, we, when, we, when I'm amped up, he's amped up. And when anxiety goes up, that opens the door and Mr. Mean can come in and play his tricks. So I've had to be really mindful about that.
0: So this is a theme that I keep seeing over and over again. And as much as we want for our kids as parents, you know, the truth is we can't just puppeteer them. The The best thing we can do is handle ourselves, regulate ourselves and sort of walk that walk. So let me ask you this.
1: How do you handle that as a coach of coaches? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I spend the majority of my time um, working for Precision Nutrition um, being a facilitator instructor slash coach of the level two uh master health coach course um which essentially where we have uh, fitness professionals and health and health and fitness professionals because we get doctors and we get nurses and rds uh, not just trainers um, etc and come through this program and it's my role there is to prep them to not only be better coaches, but to also be ready to go and take a board certification, um, which has now been kind of raising the bar in this space of coaching uh, over the last few years. Uh, so in that I'm teaching workshops, I'm sp- I'm doing 90 minute mentoring sessions with them, uh, prepping them for an oral exam and then a written exam. Um, It's it's really flexing uh, those coaching skills, and with a mixture of teaching and kind of like sharing experience, um, which suits me perfectly. (laughs) Um, So that's where the most that's where the majority of my time goes uh, working at PN, and that's what I mean by when I say I'm coaching coaches. That's it. I'm helping them improve and sharpen their their own skills and tools.
0: I knew a little bit about this certification, having yes. gone through it and done some understanding.
1: And actually helped
0: coach it at some point. This is true. This is true. Um, <laughs> so uh, f- folks who don't know, you know, I feel like we, you know, it's worth explaining because the assumption is always... That it's a knowledge issue; that we need more science; um, that that understanding Krebs cycle is going to save somebody from Absolutely. from snacking at eleven uh, uh, p.m. because of <laughs> anxiety. But so, so maybe talk about why it's structured the way it is, and what's what you um, think is is powerful about
1: it. That's really important. That's a good question. I'm glad you're, you're asking that. Um, what the course really structure is structured around is. Uh, good communication and listening skills um, problem solving skills and ways to move yourself out of the way as the coach and realize that this is not about you at all um, it's about the other person so the way I describe what we teach people most people think of coaching and here's here's an analogy I hope this I don't people don't get lost in this one most people think of coaching like this imagine you have to cross a river of a a fast-moving river, and the only way to get across it is to step on stones that are sporadically spread across the this river from one bank to the other. And it's nighttime out, so you can't see where the stones are at. And oh yeah, by the way, you're holding a handful of stuff that life has handled handed you right. So you. you You're balancing things in your hands. It's hard to see. You can't really see around these things sometimes. And it's dark. And people think coaching is me standing there going, okay, take your right foot and step forward about one foot and to the left about six inches and slowly put your foot down onto that stone and and get your balance and then take your left foot and take another step right in front of it. In that analogy, what do you think actually would happen if that's how I was trying to get you across the river? Sploosh. Yeah, you're going to fall in, and it's going to sweep you away. You're not going to be successful. But that's what people think coaching is, the person standing there going, do this, do this, do this. When in reality, I'm teaching other coaches in the way I coach. What I teach them to do is to stand on the bank and go, all right, man. I got a big flashlight. I'm gonna shine it across here on these rocks. There's a rock on your right and a rock on your left. Which one do you feel like you can get to right here and how do you wanna do it? And let them do it. And let them pick and choose. I'm standing off to the side. I'm simply helping them see the choices and help them make the choice. I'm not telling them what to do. And that's, that's the difference.
0: I feel like one thing we both push back on is that this idea of coach as expert, like I'm going to come in and I'm going to be all that is man or all that is expert or coach and tell you what to do and be the no. hero in this story.
1: Not at all. It's, it's quite the opposite. I, I find being a good and effective coach, you actually have to be really humble and subservient, if you will, right? It's not your thing. Um, so I, I joke with the students to help them remember some of the, the big rocks of coaching. And I have my three tongue in cheek kind of uh, tips. And I tell them, uh, be lazy, care less, and play dumb. <laughs> That's it. like, if you remember those three things and you and you understand what they mean in context, you're gonna do a good job, right? So when I say be lazy, I mean like, don't try, it's not you that needs to solve the problem. You don't need to come up with the solution You don't, you know, even in, in the, at the micro level, like when we're using things like motivational interviewing skills, you don't need to think of a million questions. Be lazy make a reflection, let them sort it out. Um, You're not, don't tell them the next thing to do. Don't think about this. It's not your deal. And then it's like, okay, care less. Well, you got to care less about the thing than they do, or else it's not, you're going to, your bad behavior comes out. Right. Because if I think this person should be doing this thing, I'm going to be like, well, how about you just try this? Or can you do this? And and they're going to nod their head and say yes, and then not do it. And then we, we both know how that ends up. And then the last one there, like I said, play dumb. Even if you know the answer, even if you've helped 100 people, 100,000 people do the exact same thing, pretend like you know nothing about it and ask the person all the questions Listen to what they have to say and help them come up with their own answer. It's not about you. And that's, that's, that's it.
0: That's the hardest one of the three for me. <laughs> it's a, yeah, such to, a discipline.
1: Just to kind of lay back again, it comes back to me, maybe because I'm inherently lazy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to let you figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it works, and it works really well. Um, and, and when you can remove yourself and your own ego from this space, to your point, it's not about information. It's not that people don't have the information. Most people actually know what they need to do. The problem is they see these things like nutrition or fitness in a silo as opposed to the life web, right? Your 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 relationships, your work, your family, you, you know how you you um, you have recreation for yourself, how you take care of yourself physically, your finances, all these things are all connected in a web. It's They're not silos, right? So um, we don't know. You don't know what the other person's solution is. We don't they're not, like you said, they're not eating the chips at eleven o'clock at night because they don't know that the chips are going to move them away from their goals and they're not healthy for them if in abundance they're doing it because they're trying to solve a non-food problem with food and they don't recognize that yet or they just don't want to pay attention to that yet and that's part of the part of the deal with coaching in this fashion is helping them see these things
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like people come; they often will self-identify. They say it's a it's a nutrition problem, or it's an exercise problem, and that's how they interface with us. And you know, I think our job is to say, okay, well, let's let's look at this, and we're gonna we're not gonna tell them that they're barking up the wrong tree. We're gonna work with them and and um, make the most of it. But meanwhile, we're gonna stop, or rather, we're gonna start looking for opportunities in those other places to kind of move the needle and make it easier. It's like, well, you're stress eating. It's not a lack of information. Um, How's your sleep? How are your stress management skills? Are you able to take a breath and slow down? Do you have strategies for dealing with Mr. Mean, whatever your version of Mr. Mean is? And it may not be a precise calibration of macronutrients, ultimately. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no we don't have to do a uh, sweet potato space math
0: <laughs> Space math. Uh, facts facts um well let's talk about your how did you how did you get from there to here how let, let's talk about your your sort of fit and, uh, i'm struggling not to say journey
1: it is it's been a journey
0: whatever whatever uh took you from point a to point b and beyond yeah. let's let's talk um, about that.
1: Um you know I was with morbid obesity for a lot of my life I was a very very large person uh I started putting on a lot more weight even though I was very active I played sports I played sport I played college football I played high, you know high school football I played rugby I, like we just talked earlier I've been playing rugby for the last 20ish years um I was still playing I was playing rugby back then I was I I remember that the scale just had hit over 300 pounds. I'm not a tall guy, so I was pretty round. I'm about 5'7 on a lucky day. Um, I stopped checking my weight at that point. I know I got bigger. I probably got up to about 320. Um, But I was still lifting weights and training for for rugby, going to rugby practice. And at that point, my rugby playing wasn't great because I was so out of shape. I would play maybe a half, um, and that was all I could manage. Um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this training and stuff. And, and I'm, I'm there pretty consistently doing that. And my friend passed away. Um, my friend actually had a pulmonary embolism. We found out he died the same day that we found out that we were having my son. Um, and so that was kind of a big trigger for me to go, okay. And, and I've always, I was always like, really kind of abrasive when I was younger. I was like, ah, kids, kids are the way they are because their parents make them that way. Right. And, and so I'm like, I better put my money where my mouth is because I can't be a 320 pound man and have my son see that and be that way. That's like, that was just, I'm like, I, I I say this stuff all the time. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. So for me, it was like, and I want to be here for my son more, more than that other part. Uh, So That kind of spurred me to move forward and start paying attention to my food as well. Um, So I did like an at-home fitness program pretty intensely for uh, which you don't have to do it this way. I tell people that all the time. This is what worked for me. Doesn't have to be done this way because if I could do it again, I probably would do it a little differently knowing what I know now. Um, But I did an at-home fitness program uh, for 18 months uh, straight and paid attention to my food and, um, lost like 125, pi- 25 pounds. I mean, I got down to about 175 pounds. And as, th- as I'm going through this journey, people are asking me, what are you doing? And they start asking me for advice and how do you do these things? And then I went back to school, um, to get some, some more education around, uh, coaching and training. I did a bazillion certifications and, you know, I started as I that, Um, and it just kind of grew from there at some point I was, you know, I, I had been uh, a systems analyst, a business systems analyst for a, a fortune 100 company for 12 years. And, um, things were starting to get a little different for me there. It was like the things I was really good at, I wasn't doing anymore. They wanted me to do things that I didn't like. Um, I'm like, wait a minute, like, you, you moved me up to this level because I was good at these things, but now you want me to do other things. That doesn't make sense to me. So I started looking elsewhere and getting some different ideas and going through the whole whole story there. But essentially lightning struck. And a year later, they called me out of the blue and were like, hey, we're hiring. You're our first choice. We want to talk to you some more. I was like, okay. Um, so I got offered the job and uh, I put my two weeks notice in and started coaching at PN full-time at that point. Um, and things just have developed from there. And that was 10 years ago. So <laughs> I will tell you, and I tell all the anybody who's a coach out there, I'm like, you can't, don't beat yourself up about how you coached early on. Can't change that. That is part of progress, right? Getting better means getting better. That means at some point, you didn't do as good as you do now. So when I look at those people that I was coaching back, back in the day and like my approach and all that stuff compared to what I teach and I know, and I do now, it's like, Whoa, I'm so sorry. Like <laughs> Anybody that's listening, if you're one of them, I'm so sorry, please contact me and I'll give you a better experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a good offer. I'm gonna extend that to anyone listening. Same deal. Because I remember I used to finish my early sessions and I would think, bless this person, because I am making all of my mistakes now. These are the early days on the road to getting really good.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a huge thing. And I think that's for people that are just starting out. Like you don't have to be perfect. You don't you know, um, and honestly, the people that are coming through the certification that we're doing, um, you get fast tracked. You, you like the learning curve is so much better. You're, you're, you don't have to make the same mistakes that a lot of us made because now we know, like, this doesn't work this way.
0: I want to talk about rugby here. You played for over twenty years, and I've started to use the term post young. No longer youthful if you are no are you if you are post young and you you want to um, take part in a rec sport I mean particularly a, a collision sport or you know martial arts you know these come to mind, but in anything what do you what do you think keeps you in the
1: game um, it it has become part of my identity and my values really the the actions okay so you know it's it's my nickname in in our my rugby group chat with all the team teammates. They call me so we. I'm I'm old bro, <laughs> so there's like strong bro and like young bro. I'm old bro, right? So the joke is always like <laughs> old oh, bro. Um, you know, uh, these things are important to me, so I make time for them. Things like I get I get pretty much eight hours of sleep every night um i drink i stay hydrated you know i'm doing i'm constantly walking i'm constantly moving you know when i was playing i was training 6 days a week very specific for rugby um you know cardio days and not just random stuff like i paid another co- i paid coaches i paid some of the top coaches in the world um that were rugby strength and conditioning coaches to write my programming and i just i just hammered this stuff diligently but it wasn't just the training and just the the um, you know, just the lifting and running and all that stuff. It was also you know mindset work and like I said, rest, recovery is the biggest part. You know, sleep, nutrition, hydration. Um, and finding joy in things too, like getting some of the stress out of my life. That's really what kept me um, able to keep competing with guys half half my age. And in some cases, twice my size, because uh, I'm not 300 pounds anymore. <laughs> um, and there would be often times where I would give up to the guy directly across from me, uh, 70 to 100, if not more, pounds. Um, pretty common.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a different skill set. So you listed all of these things. What I didn't hear was uh, an exceptionally intense and grueling or um, complex training protocol that wasn't listed no
1: quite the opposite actually quite the opposite so we especially a sport like rugby where you need a lot of qualities uh that need to be you know uh, good don't necessarily need to be great but you need to be good at a lot of different things right we know you you for lack of better terms right you can't you can't ride two horses with one ass so you have to pick and choose and so it was always like, what's the most simple, what's the bare minimum thing I can do? Like, what's the bare minimum lifting I can do to maintain my strength while I work on my speed and, and focus on this other quality? What's the bare minimum amount of speed work I can do while I work on trying to maybe put some muscle on for this coming season? And and so it wasn't super complicated or complex. It was being consistent, doing the basic things really well over and over again, and at least just having a bigger picture plan, understanding what the, the goal is at the end, Um, And for me, it was really also having a second set of eyes uh, to really just take, again, take my ego out of it. Like, I don't care. Like, uh, you tell me what what, what the plan should look like and I'll I'll execute that.
0: Yeah, it's um, interesting being able to go, especially when you know a lot about this stuff and you do. Um, I know a lot of folks that know a lot and you know a lot, a lot. However um to to not be the boss (laughs) to just um hire someone essentially to tell me what to do i'll follow let you know if i'm struggling with it but
1: yeah yeah i mean and 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 that's funny because it's different from what we talked about about coaching this this is a little different we're talking about like physical training for a specific sport that kind of coaching is very much a little bit more directive um you know you need to hit certain things to improve certain qualities and they need, it has to happen in a certain way. So there's some, my coach always would give me some leeway in some of those spaces. Like, all right, well, you know, you need to get, uh, you're going to squat today, pick whatever squat you want. Right. So that was my autonomy. I got to cho I get to choose. Do I want a front squat, back squat? Am I squatting on a box? Like, how am I doing it? But it was still, I had to squat. Right. Um, so I want to be clear about that because that stuff is a little different when we're talking about sp- specific training for a specific Yeah, well, sport I, th- I think we have skill. to say,
0: you know, what a lot of people think is give me a paint by numbers scheme and I will, you know, show me what a pro athlete does and I'm going to follow this. I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to paint my numbers and, and follow this plan. But you haven't developed any of the qualities or the, or the skills or the capacities. <laughs> right, or the sense of nuance. So it doesn't just, it's not magic. Nice. You can't just do a, a ritual and, and poof, you're you're a, an, you know, an elite um, level player. So there's, doing all the right. foundational work, I think, just brings you up to the level where someone can say, here's a list of instructions. I think that expertise is almost being able to see the complexity within the basic or the simple. And knowing that, okay, when we do a squat, same movement, same rep, same rest period, nothing objectively different, but the experience, the details, the little things, can be wildly
1: different. Yes, exactly. Right? Are you going to play with the tempo? Are you going to play with depth? Are you going to play with right body position? Um, what kind of bar are you using? Right? All that stuff. You're absolutely right. Um, I I would agree there. It's again, it's like, you need that, that foundation, the foundational things need to be in place. Um, and that should always be the, it's not sexy. That's why people don't like this, but like the basics are, are the basics for a reason. And most of the time if people do the basic things really well over and over again, they'll blow the pants off of everybody else. Like it just, it's, it's again, it it's so sell. funny.
0: You know, I, I feel like both of us are always sort of pushing back against that narrative um, that it's got to be extra fancy and it's got to be extra complex. But what is what is the cultural story here that so many people are buying into? Like, why, why do
1: we have to, why do we feel like we have to keep saying that? I do believe that part of it has to do with the internet and the accessibility to information. And that, especially with social media, where you're seeing excerpts of things that people are doing and you don't see all the other stuff. And usually the stuff that you're seeing is like sensational things, things that are going to get likes and eyeballs. They're not doing boring stuff. No one wants to see boring stuff, right? So when you see someone doing some weird, you know, bosu ball squat with you know a bamboo bar and kettlebells hanging off the side of it right people are like oh i gotta do that and it's like yeah no that's not the way it works you look at like right you look at dwayne johnson the rock and he used to post all of his huge cheat meals everyone thought he eats like he doesn't eat like that all the time he's pretty terribly boring and repetitive most of the time that's the foundation so I think part of it is, again, just like, we have short attention spans, we see the things that are shiny, those kinds of things are shiny, we see this this athlete that's doing this fancy drill and we think that's what we need to do. And that's not the case, you know? If you think of like the iceberg analogy, right? We're, we're seeing the tip of the iceberg, we're missing the important part and that's what's under the water.
0: And most of the iceberg's pretty boring. It's 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 the same stuff. I mean, I don't I, I don't think it feels boring, because, yeah. No, I, I don't I actually think that's sort of that's maybe an ADHD superpower, um, that that amplifies our ability to sort of experience the same thing in many different ways. Like I will explain it to people like this. Like if you ask me to do the same task a hundred times, I will never once do it exactly the same way, and through that variety of experience all these slightly different angles and approaches you develop this sort of stereoscopic vision for for what a thing is which is I think why we're so good at pattern recognition does that track for you
1: yeah yes yes it does yes it does um what's also interesting there is like I also maybe it's just because I've as I've matured I've also been able to parse out like all right I've done this same thing 14 different ways. I know these two different ways are ones I really liked and were really effective. Even though I want to try some of this other stuff again, I'm I'm I know like what's my bigger outcome desire. I'm I'm gonna do this. And it's not always easy. It's gotten easier as I've gotten older. Like a great example is I live out of my calendar. I am hyper organized with my calendar and finding spaces to do my different activities and tasks and getting it all in my calendar. I my wife knows if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist to me. Um but that is not my natural superpower. I had to take years to develop that. I'm a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy. I thrive in chaos, but that keeps me I I want to succeed at the things I want to succeed at. And so that I think that intrinsically pushes me to do things that are uncomfortable.
0: That's been my experience too. These aren't our gifts, but this is how to put out the tire fires so that we we can actually show up and, and execute more consistently, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, if I if I didn't force myself to do that, I wouldn't have accomplished half the things um, that I've been able to over the last 10 20 years. It's just I would be, <laughs> be just running around doing random stuff all the time, forgetting about things constantly. Yeah.
0: Um well, and I like, you know, you know, you said, okay, well, your wife knows this. And I think, and my my wife too, I understand there are just some things like she can tell me, you know, a thing, but she knows I like we're both clear, I'm not gonna remember that. Like, we can put it, put it in the calendar. Uh, we put it in a place where we know it's locked down. And, and and that's how we guarantee. And by being able to communicate better around like what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and will definitely need support with has really taken a lot of the stresses out of our relationship. It's very, we're very clear on how this stuff works. Has uh, it been the same thing mm-hmm. with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, Before I learned that, it would be like, you know, my wife would tell me something in a flyby and then I didn't do it. And she's like, why didn't you do this? But now it's like, if that happens, I'm like, hey, now we have set times where we talk about things, right? We have set places like my calendar. I'm like, and she knows she puts things in my calendar. Like even if things that she's doing, just so I know, right. I know it's there because I'll, I won't pay attention. I will, I'll forget about it. Um, Things like, um, we have a board, we have a chalkboard. It's like a, I don't know, a chalk marker board, if you will, I um, will. Yeah. in our kitchen. <laughs> you know, we put notes and things on there. Like, so I know if I need something, I write it on there. That way that's how I communicate it to her. That way she can absorb the information when she's ready to, and same for me, she'll put stuff on that board too. Um, and so that I can get it into my schedule or whatever I need to do. Um, on my, at my pace. I don't have to worry about like, did I forget this thing? Did you tell me something I don't remember? It's like, I know I, I trust that place and I trust my calendar.
0: Yeah, it's so nice to to not have that anxiety of, did did I fail to do a thing that was so far out of my wheelhouse, you know, that even with the best of intentions, it was like a 20 or 30% shot. Oh, I wanted to ask you, what is your physical exercise looking like these days?
1: Uh, oh, I guess I would tell you, so yes, I'm done playing rugby, but um, <laughs> I, I'm, going, I'm starting back to jujitsu in November. Uh,
0: <laughs> I just got into it again, uh, picked it up a couple months ago and I'm so happy. I love it so much.
1: Again, I think there's multiple things about that probably for, for people like us that, that make a difference. There's something about um, moving your body like on the ground in that fashion that is soothing uh, neurologically, um, especially when you're doing that like cross-body patterning.
0: Oh, that's so yes. juicy, because I think there is some magic in getting that cross hemispherical talk. And there are other parts of the physical experience to that pressure, that uh, exteroceptive feedback, everything you're feeling in your body, and maybe even complexity to
1: occupy your mind
0: entirely, yeah. right?
1: Yes. Yes. And that, that was also my experience with um, playing rugby, you know, everything, all the noise would just go away. All the, all the, the, the noise, the thoughts and things in my head would just go away. And it's like, I'm, I'm wholly present where I'm at. I'm, comfortable and like it's not necessarily flow state because if you ever really listen to what flow state actually is it's not quite the same but it's yeah it's calming i mean that's the only way i can describe it like it's just you're in the moment and that's it
0: yeah the flow state discussion has been interesting i like it but i don't i'm not convinced that this is an objective i think it's along for the ride Toward mastery, but I don't think it's necessarily an
1: end unto itself. No, I, I would agree with that, especially if you've you know spent time listening to some of the research or reading about the research and flow state and what it actually is and what it means and like how they get there. Like you're you're absolutely right. It's almost like it's a side effect of being in certain spaces. It's not the goal, even though some of these folks. Chase that flow state. Um, so people that that tra- people would, athletes that people would traditionally call thrill seekers, they're not seeking a thrill at all. They don't want adrenaline, right? They want that that uh, that calm state. So um, Alex Hanold, for example, right? Who's like free so free solo of the movie, he's free solo El Capitan, all the stuff. It, he's not chasing. He's not a thrill seeker. He's not looking for an adrenaline rush, because if he does get one, he's dead. Right? There's, it's totally the opposite. He's looking for a flow state, calmness. So, you know, <laughs> that's a that's a whole different level of uh, intensity there.
0: Well said. Listen, I appreciate you so damn much. Thanks for coming on.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for for thinking of me and having me. It's always a, it's always fun talking with you. Anyway, so. just gave us a chance to catch up.
0: True facts. Thanks, Dom. All right. That was Dom Mateo, coach of coaches, dad, stand-up guy. Thanks for hanging out with us today. As a reminder, I am running a free workshop on the third Thursday of every month on how to write your parenting manifesto. I'd love for you to join me. You can go to dadstrength.com. Look for group coaching. It's the first stuff you'll see there. The Dad Strength Podcast is an Unlearning Network production. Title music by Daniel Ross. Additional music by Mike Ford. We'll see you next time.